you, Lord God, in heaven for um, your grace to us, your kindness to us, supplying us with your steadfast love that endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for our health. Thank you for um, just general safety and um, the way that you have watched over us. We pray that you bless us in this class today and guide us, Lord, in this last class of this series. And I uh, pray that we would all be enriched and, um, and, and strengthened, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. So the class has been for, this is the 13th one, so 13 weeks. Uh, why do you do that? Um, we've covered subjects of worship, church government, complementarianism, who is John Calvin, catechisms last week, and then church membership we're actually going to look at this week, and this will be the end. Um, and then we have the brunch next week, and then I'm politicking to try to get someone to do a presentation the following Sunday on a conference they went to, and then we'll start a series on early church heresies. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that one. So, yes. Anyway, so this class has been on one side for those visiting to exhibit to them that we really do try to strive to be biblical in our commitment to Jesus, and so uh, and hopefully people walk away with that. And then for the rest of us, just keeping to the pattern, the biblical pattern, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the way, this passage will come up in the sermon today, so pay heed and listen for that. And then everybody go, we know that passage! Or something like that. So today, we're going to be looking at church membership, why we join, what membership gives, and how to join. Very simple class, actually. And so, uh, let's begin here. Let's start here with Exodus 12. We're going to do two, uh, one passage in Exodus 12. And then we're going to go to Numbers. So everybody go, there's a Bible here. Find a Bible app, or if you need a Bible, somebody go get some Bibles. But Exodus 12, verse 37 and 38. Exodus 12, 37 and 38. Somebody read that for us. Who'd read that? Okay, Tony will read that. Who needs a Bible? No. Okay, Tony will read it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So, most time when we think of the Exodus, we almost always think of what group of people only? Yes, the Hebrews, the Israelites, right? But notice that it wasn't just Israel that left with them. Who else went out with them in the Exodus? Yeah, somebody. It was a mixed multitude. It doesn't say what it was, okay? I, I think because of the genealogy of Caleb, for example, that he was actually an Edomite by descent and was adopted into the tribe of Judah, okay? And there's a reason for that, but that would be an example. So there's a mixed multitude, Egyptians, uh, Amorites, uh, Irmites, all kinds of ites, you know, going out. That was a joke. Come on, come on, stay with me. Okay. So there was a mixed multitude going out with Israel in the Exodus, all right? So there was, uh, there was the people, 
themselves, and then there was uh, the mixed multitude. So then go to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers 1, the first three verses, Numbers, which is right after Leviticus, Numbers. All right. And so uh, somebody read for us the first three verses of Numbers. Now remember, this is only about, not even, probably about a year after they've left Egypt, okay? And so there's Israel, there's a mixed multitude, and so forth. And so somebody read for us Numbers 1, 1 through 3. So here they are, it's Israel and a mixed multitude, and yet who does God want numbered, and what would the census be about? Part of it's a draft registration, right? So he knows who can actually fight for Israel, right? Very good. What else would that census be for? Yes who are members of the nation. Okay, very simple, right? So there's a mixed multitude going along with Israel, but God is concerned about who are members of the covenant community. All right, so here's, I'm going to give you a little plug for tonight. So we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 10. There will be a list of names. I mean, it is just an ongoing list of names of people who signed this covenant to be faithful to the Lord. It's the same kind of thing. It's saying... Because what you won't notice, what you won't see in the list are non-members. So from the Old Testament early on, membership is expected, right? Being members somehow identified as part of the people of God in that place or whatever. So membership has always been expected from the Old Testament. And I'll give you a whole bunch of New Testament passages in a minute, okay? But there's membership. It's not foreign. It's not something that's imposed upon 21st century Christianity. And the reason why this is a big subject is because since I've been a Christian, there have been more and more denominations and churches that have denigrated membership and have removed membership requirements uh, from membership at all, any kind of identification with God's people at a place. There's the biggest church in, I think, the world, or at least in America, that happens to headquarter here in Oklahoma that has no church membership at all, period. Okay? It's becoming increasingly more and more, and yet for denominations that claim, and churches that claim to want to be biblical, they need to deal with the passages of Scripture that actually say no membership is extremely important and expected. Okay? So let me do a little thought piece here for a minute. So, um, think, in the larger, uh, think a little bit larger from them and go outside of the Bible. Where else do we practice membership and why? Citizens of the nation, right? Being able to vote, right? Things like that, okay? In fact, most of you, I would imagine most of you are Republicans, and you're going, yeah! Right? Okay? But you know it right there. You know who the citizens are. There are privileges and responsibilities for those who are members. 
versus non-members. And that's how you run a country. Okay? What else? Think of other areas of membership. Police force? Yeah, that's right. Could you see Moose? I could see Moose going, wait a minute. Are you a policeman? Well, sure I am. I self-identify as a policeman. Well, no, wait a minute. You know. Are you, have you raised your hand and sworn your oath? Have you been through the training and all that? Right, so there's membership there. Where else? Huh? Armed forces, military. That's exactly right, okay? Um, think about something less uh, violent. The YMCA. Dues-paying members. That's right. But there's a reason for that, right? Because if they let you let anybody in the door at any time, then they, have not, they don't have enough equipment to take care of everybody. They don't have any control over how the equipment is treated, the facilities are treated, etc. Civic organizations. I was in the Optimist Club for years, and anybody could come, but you had to be a member to actually vote, to actually lead, to actually do all these things, right? So there were privileges and responsibilities. Membership was extremely important. Boy Scouts was the same way when we were in Boy Scouts. Trail Life does the same kind of thing. You've got to be a member. You can come but you can't be involved in the privileges and responsibilities unless you're a member, okay? Think about, let's go political for just a moment. <clears throat> what happens if there's no membership in the Republican or Democratic Party and it comes primary season? <laughs> well, okay, yeah, so there's an example, but that's by law, right? But generally, across the board, there's actually a setup so that you know who has the legitimacy to vote in this primary or that primary, right? We have membership all over for very important reasons. They're, they're necessi- it's necessary to say who's in, who's not in, who has the right and responsibility to lead and direct or, or all those things, right? So, and you can just go on and on and on with this idea of membership. It's really funny that... that um, a lot of organizations actually also have strict criteria to stay in as members, right? So in the Optimus Club, for example, they actually had a criteria, or even the Boy Scouts, they had a criteria. If you, if you violate this criteria, you were out. I mean, there was like, there was no church discipline. You were out, right? Just like that. Boom. But every one of those groups, just about every one of those groups, membership also have a criteria how to stay in that group. It's really interesting. Yes. If you become what? Instead of an optimist? So, funny story. Glad you brought that up. Funny story. Caleb, Caleb in high school was in the speech club, and he got to go do a speech for the optimist club for a a $5,000 scholarship. It ended up being a $2,500 scholarship. It was how I'm going to take optimism into the world, into the future. Now, if you know Caleb, optimist and Caleb do not go in the same sentence. But he gave one of the best speeches ever that I've ever heard him give. It was a beautiful speech. And when he got done, and he, he got the scholarship, huh? We were, we, we were stunned. When he got done with the speech, and he came down. He already got the scholarship. He came down, and he immediately went back to his Eeyore-ish self. <laughs> and he comes up to us, and he says, Dad, Mom, I'm done with being an optimist. I'm ready to go back to being a pessimist. <laughs> Funny story. Great story. All right. So so it's no surprise then that that's exactly what God does when you have this mixed rabble that's following Israel. He still has boundaries, who's in, who's out. You have membership. And then we can just see how natural it is that we do this in our own 
civil involvements and social involvements, and so it's no surprise. And so, let's do this. We're going to run through the New Testament for a minute. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. And you know Acts 2 very well, coming out of Acts 1 with uh, the folks in the upper room praying, the group that's there, some 120 are listed there. Then you have the great sermon that Peter preaches. The Holy Spirit comes, is poured out. And then the, the great sermons preached, and then people are like, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, etc. and so forth. And then what happens, verse 41, then verse 47. Somebody read verse 41, and then somebody else read 47. Who will do 41? Okay, David, who will do 47? Okay, Earl. Okay, so what translation is that, you know? New King James, uh, following the Texas Receptus, says the Lord added to the church. The ESV, following uh, another manuscript traditions, says added to their number. Either way, notice there's a number, there is a group that is already set up by the Lord, and the Lord adds to their number. He makes them members of the church or that numbered group, that group. Does that make sense? Who made membership? Yeah, the Lord did, right? He added to their number, okay? It's very simple. It's a very biblical notion. Um, So I've already given this away. So what language implies membership? Added, okay? Added, and what else? Added to what? The number or the church, okay? Right? So we've already just answered that second question. So feel free to ask anything, or if you need clarification, or if you want to comment or anything, go ahead. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. I'm sorry, chapter 1. Thank you. And somebody read verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Okay, so as you think about 1 Corinthians 1.10, is there anything in this verse that suggests membership boundaries and belonging? Agreement, no division. Yeah, you're not, so the, the positive statement would be that you stay united, right? So notice that, that there is some togetherness, there's some commitment to each other, some connection to each other. That is very, very clear. He doesn't say about the, the people who lived in Corinth. He doesn't say, so that way, you know, there's no divisions in the city of Corinth. He says, among you, that there's no division. So there's some belonging together, knit together, in some way that's very, very specific that says, we belong together. In other words, membership. Okay? It doesn't, nowhere does Scripture just come right out and say, thou shalt become a member of the local church. It's just assumed all the way through the New Testament, it keeps coming up by implication, by good, as the confession would say, by good and necessary consequence. But it's there, it runs through 
all these different passages. David? Yes. 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 Right, my point exactly. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, there's no direct, like it's not the 11th commandment, right? But it's implied all the way through and runs through very clearly. It's just, it's assumed, and so it's laid out that way, okay? All right. So let's go on a little bit more in 1 Corinthians. Go down to chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. I don't want to get lost in all of the details of chapter 5, but I think verse 12 and 13 are very, very clear. But somebody would read for us 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13. Yes, Cindy. Yeah, very good. So what happens there? What, what, would, what do you see there that maybe is an inside-outside description of these verses, and what is that clearly implying? Yes, there's those who don't belong. And so notice Paul's making a distinction. What's his distinction? Those who are inside and those who are outside, Right? And so, I mean, I just want you to see, this is very simple stuff, but I just want you to see that it's always implied in there. And it does beg the question, it does bother me when I see churches and groups that actually say, oh, there's no need for church membership. But I'm like, but dude, how do you deal with Scripture? Upon Scripture, upon Scripture, that keeps implying it and keeps laying it out. It's the expectation. I mean, I realize you're a good American and don't like to join lots of things. But what is the Bible actually leading us to? And so here, for example, notice that the demarcation, so this, now I think, remember I was talking about how the Optimist Club and the Boy Scouts even had standards and they would, they would have to remove you if you violated those standards. Notice that Paul is laying that out here. There are standards, right? And so our, our task is not to sit here and judge the whole wide world or Oklahoma City or anything like that. Our, our sense is that there's an accountability inside the church. You've got to have boundaries to know who's in. So, for example, you have somebody show up and visit church, and let's say that, um, I don't know, um, let's say that they're, um, let's say it's a homosexual couple, and they come into church. Great glad they came. I want them to hear the gospel. Praise the Lord. But I'm not going to discipline them. I can't. Right? Now I can talk to them and I, and I will talk to them at some point if they continue to keep coming back and start going through scripture. But notice the point. Now if Phil walked in with a boyfriend, Phil, we have to have a talk brother right now. Right? He would never do that. But you see what I'm saying? Do you hear the difference? There's something, there's, a, there's some commitment and connection that says who's inside, who's outside. Yes, David. Yes. Yes. 
preach it. Preach it. So Hope, did everybody hear that? So the idea of, of church discipline is to restore them, to bring them back in. Well, if there's nothing to come back into, then what are you restoring them to, right? So yeah, very good. And that's really Paul's, part of Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 5 is in the case of the, the, um, um, the story in 1 Corinthians 5, the guy who has his dad's wife and all those things. Anyways, there you go. Uh, let's go to Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and verse 10. And somebody, please, read for us Galatians 6, 10. Who will do that? Okay, how? So, what are we to do? Good. The good to who? Everyone, right? That's where we go. But then, where's, what's Paul's especially point? Especially in the household of faith. Well, how do you know who's in the household of faith? Yeah, you've got some kind of boundary that's been set up, some kind of demarcation that says, here's the household of faith and here's not. Or, or, or we don't know what their status is because they've never joined or whatever. Does that make sense? To the household of faith. Do good to everyone, but especially the household of faith. So what I'm trying to get across is just all over the place, from the Old Testament into the New, the expectation and the assumption of church membership, that it's actually legitimate and it's biblical. It's Old Testament and New Testament, because it's the same God of both Testaments. Anyway, that was a little plug there. And then let's go to 1 Peter 5. You heard this in the sermon when I was preaching on 1 Peter 5. We're going to do 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, and then uh, Acts 20, 28. So 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. How about I read, seeing how it's to elders, how about I read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2? So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, now he's writing to churches in seven different regions, that he, that's how he mentions, begins it, this letter. So I write to the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, etc. So as you listen to that language, what is the clear import of that language? It actually goes in two different directions. He's writing to churches and he says, now I'm going to write to a specific group. Who's the group he's writing to? The elders. Where are they? Among you. Right? Somehow they're part of this group. They're among you. I'm not telling you I'm not talking to the el to elders of the city. I'm not talking to elders of the government. I'm not talking to elders in, you know, whatever else or some alternative religious group. I'm talking to the elders among you. So already, what do you know when you hear that language? Yeah, there's some kind of boundaries. Here's the among you, and that's not among you. Here's the among you. So it's the elders among you, those who are actually in that mix, right? And then notice, what does he tell the elders to do? Shepherd whom? The flock. Where? 
the flock of God that is among you. All right? Now think about that for a minute. There's lots of people, I'm just going to tell you just personally, there's lots of people that come through our doors that are probably Christians. I have no doubt they're Christians, but I have no obligation to take care of them. If I did, you would never see me. I would be worn to a frazzle. You get what I'm saying? I have an obligation. Our elders have an obligation. You. Now, if we have time and we have the ability, we'll go outside of that. So we did that um, for your mother, your mother, right? Yeah, before you all came, became members, we went and saw uh, Denise's mother uh, when she was in the hospital. And, and right when your mother was in the hospital? It was you in the hospital. Oh, oh. It's been a few weeks, right? So it's actually been several years. But no, 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 no. No, your mother was very youthful looking. There you go, yes. But, you know, as we have time, we can go do those things and, and should, but we have an obligation among, with those among us. Okay? And that's essential for us as shepherds to know who it is we're responsible to actually take care of. Does that make sense? And so the among you language is clearly implying some kind of boundaries of in and out membership. So look at Acts 20, verse 28. And I'll read this one too because this is Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus. And see if you happen to hear some familiar language. Acts 20, 28. Be careful, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves, he says to the elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood, etc. So what's the, what's the, what are the parameters of their shepherding? Yes, the flock over which they have been made by God to be overseers. The implicate, what are the implications in that statement? Yeah, there's membership. It's not necessarily everybody under the sun. There's a specific group, right? So it's membership, right? But also the implication, it goes along with 1 Peter 5, by the way, is that I don't have an obligation to go over to Redeemer PCA and go boss them around. They're not the flock over which God has made me overseer. Or made us overseers. Bill can't go over there. I know he wants to every other day, but no, I'm just joking. He doesn't. But, you know, so we have a, 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 a parameters. We have boundaries that tell us where we actually are to focus. And so you already hear there, but you can't miss it. It's clear as day. There, are, there, there is the expectation of church membership. Okay? Does it make sense? Anybody have any questions up to this point? contestations, consternation, conflagrations, anything. I got a great cup today. I just want you to see my cool cup. It says, Pastor Warning, anything you say or do could be used in a sermon. <laughs> just ask my kids. All right, anything else on this point? Does everybody see it? Is, it, is that clear? Does that make good sense? Okay. So let's talk about what church membership gives and kind of the responsibilities, but also the privileges of church membership. 
And here I'm actually taking this from an article that was in Table Talk on um, July last year. Okay, and I thought it was great. It was nine things. He, he actually lays out nine things. I'd just give you the first sentence of each of the nine things. But I thought it was really, really helpful. So I thought I'd share it with you. So first off, church membership helps us guard the peace and the purity of the church. Right? Because if we know who's in, then we actually know kind of who to listen to. Right? There are lots of voices out there. But we know, in a sense, who to listen to. I don't mean for direction, but actually to know what really matters to us, you know, what we need to be concerned about and so forth, okay? And it does other things but uh, along that lines, but it helps us to guard the peace and the purity of the church. There is an inside-outside. So I use that example of a homosexual couple, right? They can come. We want them to come. We want them to hear the gospel. We want them to know that we can be a loving people and we're not uh, going to just burn them at the stake, right? But we, but we want them to repent. We want them to come to faith in Christ and to repent. And so that encouragement will be there. But before they can join, they have to actually show some repentance. So you hear the peace, the purity of the peace already right there. So when they join, they've already made the decision to follow Jesus and to live celibate or whatever the case is where they're not living in that relationship any longer. Okay? So that membership actually helps us. I think it's, that's a great statement. It helps us to guard the peace and the purity of the church. Any questions on the first one? Nope, I just read 28. Yes. verse yes anybody else number one so number two church membership provides the privilege of accountability in the church or yeah I lost my piece here church membership provides the privilege of accountability to church leaders um, we do have an obligation to do the best we can to, to guide and help um, in walking in discipleship, so it's, it's us holding others accountable, but we ourselves are being held accountable, right? So we can't just be loose cannons, you know? Uh, I, I think what you see, I'm just going to say this, this is more anecdotal, but I think what you see when you see pastors being relieved from being pastors in a lot of those churches for, for uh, dominance and tyranny or something else, I think in a lot of those churches, maybe not the majority, but a huge number of them, there's no membership. They're just, they're able to go do what they need to do, want to do. There's no accountability even in that direction until it becomes too late. So it goes both ways, but that church membership uh, provides a privilege of accountability to church leaders. 
You like my little sign? I found this on, on the line. I thought this would be great. Be part of our story. Join our team. All right. So number three, church membership gives a tangible way to express commitment to a family of believers. Right? It says, I mean, you think about, it says, uh, we're committed, we're here, we're with you for the long haul. Right? There's a sense of that in church membership. I mean, what would you tell a young man or a young woman who's not committed to the opposite sex, to the woman or man of the opposite sex, but they want all the privileges of marriage? What would you say to them? Huh? Say it. Who said it? <laughs> right, right. Grow up. Grow up. Yeah, that's right. But we would say no. So I've had to say that before. No, if you're not going to be, you know, if you're not going to be a husband, you cannot have the privileges of a husband. There is, that commitment is essential. It says, it says, committed. And now then come the privileges of husbanding or wifing or whatever. So it's the same thing in church membership. The church membership gives a tangible way to express commitment to a family of believers. Fourth, church membership provides a profound means of telling the world that we are followers of Christ. I'm going to say this, I've said this before, I told you the story of the barista uh, I was wearing my collar, and I went down and went to this coffee shop, and this barista says, oh, I see that you're a clergyman. Yeah. Well, what church? And I told her, and, and she says, oh, me and Jesus, we're in tight with each other. I said, really? That's cool. I said, what church or fellowship do you belong to? Oh, I don't go to church. I'm not involved in church because those people, they're a pain. They're just horrible. And I had to say to her, and this really didn't do me any good. I had to say, well, if you don't love Jesus' people, and are committed to them, you really don't love Jesus. Because he's the one who says, right, the new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you, that all the world may know that you are my disciples. And so our commitment together is a public testimony, a very, a fairly evangelistic public testimony of not only our commitment to Christ, but as Jesus said, that we're followers of Christ and that um, the world knows that, he, is, that, he, that uh, he was sent by the Father as we are committed to each other and grow together and love one another. Okay? So I think it's a great point. Number four is a great point. Anything up to this point? Do you hear? Am I going too fast? Is your head swimming? Fifth, church membership pulls us into the grand story of God's covenant love. There's a long series of God's faithfulness. And then as we become identified with His people, actually publicly identified, think of Numbers, third, numbers 1, or think of when uh, we talk about Nehemiah 10 tonight, there's this public joining or identification shows that we belong to this long, long, long Old Testament, New Testament story of God's steadfast love that endures forever. His covenant faithfulness. Okay, I think that's a great point. I think sometimes people don't join um, because they don't recognize that they cannot really norm. I'm going to use an, I'm going to use a Westminster Confession of Faith and a John Calvin phrase. They cannot ordinarily, ordinarily be a part of that story, that grand story of God's covenant love without His church. Everybody in the New Testament, the book of Acts, they all become part of the church and thus become part of the grand story. 
Okay? There's an example. I think that's a great, good point. Anybody, any questions up to this place? Up to number five? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, there's, we're going to talk about how to join in just a minute for that very reason, so that way you kind of know the process, so that way you can talk to people in that, with that regard in mind, right? But I think also just the encouragement. You know, it's really important that you be a member of the church, and I've just given you passages of Scripture that you can say, see, the Bible talks about this. So it's really, really important in your discipleship. As you, if you want to thrive as a Christian, really grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you need to be part of a church. When will, you know, are you thinking about joining soon? Right? We want you to join. We want you to be committed and be, have our commitment and so forth. And then, um, and they say, well, then they say, well, how do I do that? Oh, glad you asked. We just heard this in class last week. And boom. Today we're going to have three people join, Emma and the, the Bradfords, Ken and Kim Bradford, and all of them, we just interviewed them this last week, all of them, especially Emma mentioned, um, she's been around a lot of churches, she grew up Roman Catholic, she said this is the first church she's ever been a part of that felt really, really loving, she'd never experienced anything like it before. I mean, just the way we are together is part of that attractiveness of church membership, you know, so that... Some, there's lots of non-verbals that we do as well. So, yeah, good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. six church membership encourages participation in the work of the church right so when we think about uh deaconing and deacons remember i put out that paper we talked about that before right all of us are deacons and are, are to be deaconing in the church and now you have kind of a connection and where you can serve and so it does encourage commitment or uh, engagement with the church and serving various ways okay it just encourages it it just really does so uh, number seven, church membership helps us distinguish between our neighbor and the household of faith. We talked about that with Galatians 6.10. We are to love our neighbor, but we're also primarily love not only our own family, our spouses and kids, but we're also to be focused, our primary focus is on them and on our church family, the household of faith, right? 
So that's kind of how we do. It's how how our diaconate does uh, aid. So we start with the household, right? With all the the deacon fund, we start with the household of faith. Okay, inside the household, is there people that we need to take care of and help? And so after that's taken care of, then it might be those outside of our church who maybe somehow we have some accountability with them, but they're not committed. So we'll we'll go to them if we have the money. You know, if we if we need to help that next level, and then then if there's any money left over, and we can go to the larger neighborhood if somebody from the larger neighborhood comes. But we don't have a commitment to them. We have a commitment to the household of faith first and foremost, and that usually starts out where we work on helping and uh, financial aid and stuff. Okay. Church membership prevents us from showing favoritism. How would that be? see squinty eyes this is great huh yeah 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 because James's point in James 2 is that both of those the poor one and the richer one are all part of the same synagogue the same assembly the same membership there's not to be in fact James specifically says it's a sin to show that that uh, uh, favoritism because you're all together in that body right yeah doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that it does helps prevent us from showing favoritism. And then, lastly, uh, church membership helps us to pre- help prevent to uh, bleh, bleh. membership helps to prevent us from trying to go it alone. I mean, that's a huge statement. Okay. A name tag, yes! Church membership at Heritage gets a name tag, which is what everybody wants, let me tell you. Wouldn't it be funny if we all went to Walmart together with our name tags on? We went through Wal- that same Walmart, you know. Oh, oh, so this morning, I, so uh, uh, you got to have like eight names to fill up the sheet before Natalie can print them out and then cut them and laminate them and so forth. And so Katie joined, uh, became a community member some time back Katie Tapper, she's about like this tall, right? She became a community member uh, some time back, and I didn't have enough names yet to make the laminated name tags. So we finally have enough, and I put them all together, and I saw Katie this morning. I said, Katie, come here. I have something for you. And so she comes into the library, and Glenn's falling behind her, and I said, I have your name tag. She was so excited. She ran down the hallway. I got a name tag. I got a name tag. Everybody wants a heritage name tag. All right, so this is the article from talk, uh, Table Talk, 30 July, 2021, Michael Osborne. And this is just the last uh, paragraph, but I did cut out part of it just to condense it. If you're not a member of a church, I urge you to seriously consider the benefits and duty of committing yourself to a body of believers through membership. The point is, it's important to be an accountable, contributing member of a congregation of God's people. So how do we join, Pastor? Great you asked. Here we go. Let the pastors or the elders know or anyone you can lay your hands on. Right? Just tell anyone at the church, hey, I want to join. Can you talk to the pastor? How do I get there? Okay, Just, just lay your hands on somebody that's a member of the church and start that. Uh, participate in the new members class. Uh, we, we, we quit using thumb screws about two weeks ago, so you can come and not worry about thumb screws in the new members class. I love doing the new members class. It's fun to do. 
complete the membership information survey. It's just all the data. It just tells you know your address and phone number and all that. And then there's some questions at the end. How do you see yourself serving and so forth? And can you say yes to the five membership questions, which I'll get to in a minute. Then you meet with the elders, and we get to ask uh, how you came to faith in Christ. We get to talk to you. We let you ask us questions if you have questions about the church. You know, that's a... When you're meeting with the elders, that's what happens. You get a chance to ask questions of us. Uh, that's a, this is probably, these moments are some of the warmest. When uh, we met with Katie for her to become a community member sometime back, or with Ben, when we met with Ben, you know, just to hear how they came to, you know, their growing faith, their, their lively faith. When we uh, meet with adults and that become members and, and we're talking to them, just hear their, the trek of their life, and you can't miss God's providence. His gracious providence guiding them, sometimes out of pits, right? And it just makes you sing his praises when they get done telling you their story. It's probably one of the, probably one of the highlights of being an elder. And then you answer five, the five membership questions with a yes, which I'll get to in a second. And then uh, watch what, uh, so watch what happens today. You'll hear the five membership questions today, but they have come through the whole procedure of all of these things to become members today. And so watch that after the sermon today. So here are the five questions. And they're very gospel-centered. They are Trinitarian. So do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, without hope, save, or accept in His sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon Him alone as He is offered in the gospel? I love this last phrase. There's lots of Jesuses out there in movies and in really artful colored pieces of Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall material and so forth. Lots of Jesuses. But the Jesus we want that all of us believe in is Jesus as he is offered in the gospel. Okay? Do you now resolve and promise, not entire sanctification, do you resolve and promise and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study or to apply yourself to its purity and peace? So those are the five questions that you say yes to when you join a PCA church and join Heritage. And so that's membership. Anybody have any questions before we go on? Yes. Yeah, I can just tell you my experience. My experience, so Bob asked, what's the scriptural, uh, what do they use, what are they, what's the reasoning for some denominations or churches saying there's no church membership? My experience, I'll just talk about my experience, has been there's no direct command. And then, um, so there's no need for it, and all Christians are part of it. So it's almost a Wesleyan, I mean, Charles, remember John Wesley's statement was, the world is my parish? It's kind of the same attitude. And so you'll hear something similar to that at times. I'm not trying to fault them. Or, I mean, you know, that's just what I've been hearing. So, yeah. Yes. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Glenn. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Anybody else? Yes. 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 Right. Yep. Anybody else? Yes. Bob. I just spent 13 weeks. Oh, that's a great question, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'll give you an example. So here, we always tell when people are coming in, they don't have to agree with us on every point, but they have to be Christian. So it's an Apostles' Creed, Creed Christianity. And so they may disagree, but they need to know this is where we as elders, we have to be, right? It's part of our, our ordination vows. This is, so it's just a true, I always tell everybody, it's a truth and advertising moment, right? So there's no hidden agenda. It's right out there. You may not agree with us, but you just need to know that this is where we're coming from. And that gives them the opportunity to say, I can't live with that. And then they'll end up going somewhere else. But usually what happens, most times what happens, is they're like, well, thanks for being honest with me. I don't agree with you on that issue, like election or something. But, um, but I'm all in every other way. And so they'll, they'll join and then they just, you know, and then they thrive and so forth. So. But I think that's the key, the key. I mean, I've thought about this before, that if I was, uh, if we were in a place and the only church in town, it was a Bible-believing church, was a Baptist church, that's where we would go. And then I would not expect them to change for me, right? I would expect their leaders to be honest and have integrity and continue to preach and proclaim what they think is biblically right. And then as long as they don't move off the reservation, so to speak, of the Nicene Creed and Apostles' Creed, they don't become, start talking about three gods or something, then I'm going to have to, then I, we'll, we'll be there. So, yeah. Yes? Yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. 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 Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a judgment call. I mean, I think that's fine if that's the situation where the place is. Um, you know, even in, like, for example, Baptist churches, they, have an, they belong to an association, but each one is autonomous. So it's very much the thing you're talking about. But are they being, are they being faithful to what they've laid out? And, uh, and that's where you want to check that out. Um, I do think there'll be problems later because of no other accountability, but, but that's, that's a different 
subject. Yeah. Anybody else? All right, so we've covered all these subjects, worship, church government, complementarianism, who's John Calvin, catechisms, and church membership. These were questions you asked. I had all those emails that came in and stuff that said, hey, can you cover this subject? Can you cover that? Why do we do this? And so we did it. Next week, Easter brunch. Yes! I love the Easter brunch. And also, there'll be a, a little thing for the kids during the Easter brunch, a little hunt for them to go do during the Easter brunch. And so uh, when you've got grandkids or bring any of them, they'll have something to do too. I think that's it for the class. There is a sign-up sheet for the Easter brunch on this wall right here on the other side in the other room. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that you love us so much. You want us to be in and part of your family, your household. You want us to be known as part of your household. You want us to be in places where there's accountability, uh, where we can be guided, where we can uh, show that commitment to you with others, not going it alone. Lord, thank you so much for that. We pray that you would bless today the Bradfords and Emma as they join, as they publicly profess their faith, are known as members of this church. We pray that you would grant them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ here and flourish. We pray for us that we would continue to be that kind of church that is absorbing with love those who are, who, um, are looking, who are needing to become part of a body. And we pray that you would continue to enrich us. Now, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to lift our hearts and to draw us into the great assembly where we worship you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.